from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come when there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has come, but do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first. But it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place, and awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons, and they will have led you before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand, for I myself will give you a wisdom in speaking that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. So do we have children here this morning for a children's homily? I think we do. That's, children can come up for a children's homily. Here comes one brave girl, and I guess that's it. Come on up. This is called a robo-dog. That's right, a robo-dog. And Robodog is, is very obedient. Watch, I say, Robodog, bark. I say this, Robodog, walk. So Robodog is a very obedient little dog. He always does exactly what I tell him to. Actually, he does exactly which bush, button I push. He only knows how to do two things, bark and walk. And that's it. But he always does those two things without ever failing because he is a Robodog. And robots always do exactly what they're programmed to do. It's all they can do. They can't make any decisions on, for their own or choices because they're robots. But are we like robots? She's thinking about it. No, we're not like robots. Because sometimes we're told to do things we disobey, don't we? We have choices. We can make choices. And some and we think, well, you know, maybe it's better to be a robot because robots are always obedient. You know, so sometimes people would rather have robots than people. This is not a plug for Stepford Wives. So, but there's something that robots can't do that humans can do, and that's they can love. Because God has given us free choice, we can love, and robots can't love. They're very obedient, and that's a good thing, but they can't love. Because God did not want us to obey him because we were robots. But God wants us to obey him because we love him. And that makes a big difference. 
the reason I have the robo dog is that my, my, my family loves pets. My, my wife and daughters, they love animals. And actually at one point in time we had 38 pets. And we had rabbits, we had fish, we had birds, we had dogs, we had a cat. We had a cat, that's right, I forgot about the cat. We had a cat. We had all kinds of, uh, of pets. And we had a mouse for a while, but that's an entire story to itself. But um, we had all, all these animals, and so they asked me, so what kind of pet would you like? And I said, I want a robo-dog. You know, because you don't have to feed it. It does exactly what you tell it to. If it, you know, and if you can't stand anymore, you just pull the batteries out and it's done. You know, it can't, you know, robo-dogs are good dogs. So they bought me this thing. <laughs> and so I get to have my own robo-dog. All right, let's start. Actually, let's start with the end, okay? I want to give you the, the, um, the punchline of this homily before I forget it, all right? That's important because you guys know how forgetful I are. I are. I am. <laughs> Third mass today, all right? Um, and that's this. Beliefs shape our attitudes. Attitude, attitudes shape our our choices. Our choices shape our habits, and our habits shape the outcome of our lives. Now think about that as I tell you, as we talk about the story of this gospel. In this gospel, Jesus and his disciples are moving into Jerusalem, and people are marveling over the beauty of the temple. We have never in our lives seen anything as beautiful as the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem was entirely made of gold, inside and out. All the walls were covered in gold, inside and out. It looked like a solid gold building. Now, I was in Rome recently, and some of the, some of the, the larger churches, like St. John Lateran, the ceilings were all covered in gold, and it was an amazing thing to walk into this church, and there's this brilliantly bright, shining gold ceiling. But imagine everything is covered in gold, inside and out. You could see it for miles around, this gleaming, this gleaming building. And the, the sacramental articles, the, the showbread table and the menorah, the candlesticks, all these were made out of solid gold. And uh, many wealthy people and, and kings and rulers would give gifts to the temple of golden lamps with jewels and, and amazing and marvelous things. And so you would look at this temple and just, I'm sure it was just an amazing sight. We've never, I can't even imagine what it would be to see a solid gold building that, that stood on the hillside glistening in the sun. But it was an amazing, beautiful sight. And the Jews believed that God lived there. That's why they built it out of gold, is because this was God's house. This was his home. This is where he lived. In fact, his residence was sitting on the mercy seat, which was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. God would sit there, and that's where he was all the time. And if you want, ever wondered where God was, he was in the temple, sitting on the mercy seat. And... That was such a holy place. In fact, it's called the Holy of Holies that only the high priest could enter there and only one day a year. Very, very holy. And the Jews were convinced that because this was the house of God, this was God's home, then they were safe. 
because if anything ever threatened God's home, God would rise up and smite them. And that's what they believed. So when Jesus is hearing them talk about how beautiful this building is, and he says to them, the day will come when not one stone will be left on top of another, they were shocked and frightened. How can this be that God would allow his home to be destroyed? And they ask him, you know, what's the sign that's going to tell us when this can happen so that we can get out of town, right? This must be a terrible thing that's about to happen. And he gives them some, some indications, but basically says, don't worry about it for right now. Now, when this word of Jesus was fulfilled was less than 40 years after he was crucified. And this is what happened. And we know what happened because uh, there's a man named Josephus who is a Jewish writer in, uh, in the uh, first century around 75 to 80 AD who was an eyewitness to all of these events and he wrote them down. And what Josephus tells us is that when Jesus was there, people recognized him as the Messiah. They knew he was the Messiah. In fact, there's an interesting um, tidbit in the Gospel of John right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. That when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees gather together and they say, we have to put him to death because word of this is going to get out and there'll be no way to stop him. They knew who he was. They knew he was the Messiah. He just raised someone from the dead. But they wanted to stop him because they were the ones who were in control. And they did not, and they did not want to give up their control. And so they determined to put the Messiah to death. And Josephus tells us that's exactly what they did. The chief priest put the Messiah to death. See, they knew he was the Messiah, but they didn't know he was God. They did not expect him to rise from the dead. They thought if they killed him, they would put an end to this usurper who was trying to take their authority away. They did not want Jesus to become king and for them to lose their jobs. And Josephus writes, because they treated, mistreated the Messiah this way, then God punished them by destroying Jerusalem. Now, I often think about this time, and I wonder if I were there, who would I side with? Because when you think about the priests and the Pharisees, well, they really were the kind of people that we like and respect. They were successful. They were educated. They were pious. They were respected by the community. They were well-known. Everybody knew the priests and the Pharisees were the best people around. Jesus, on the other hand, well, there, there was some question about his birth, you know, we, who was his father. That, that question came, comes up a couple of times in the, in, the, in the gospel. You know, we don't really know who his father is. And he comes from a town in Galilee called Nazareth, and everybody knew that nothing good comes from Nazareth. Remember in the gospel someone asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? And that's because Nazareth was considered to be a tainted 
city, a tainted village, that anybody who lived in Nazareth was somehow tainted, perhaps even a traitor to their country. So who would we have sided with? And that's a serious question. I'm sure it was confusing to a lot of people. On the one hand, you have these who are the well-respected of the community. On the other hand, you have this, this, this itinerant preacher traveling around like a street preacher, you know, from Nazareth. But he's doing amazing things. He's healing the sick and raising the dead and, and teaching a new way to look at the law. Who do you side with? Our beliefs shape our attitudes, and our attitudes shape our choices. Our choices shape our habits, and our habits determine the outcome of our life. You see, the chief priests and the Pharisees had made a decision in their lives, and their decision was this, I am the most important. I am the center of my life. My power, my control, my authority, my respect among the people. This is what's important. This is what's important to me. See, it all comes down to a question of who is the center of our life? Is the center of our life God? Do we give our lives to God and make Him the center of our life? Or do we want to retain control of our life ourselves? Make ourselves the center of our life. And if we make ourselves the center of our lives, then we live our entire lives in rebellion against God who is by right the center of our lives because he is the center of all things. And so the priests and the Pharisees and those who sided with them lived in this constant rebellion. They rebelled against God, they put the Messiah to death, and eventually they rebelled against Rome. You see, a lot of times, like Josephus, we see these things and we say, well, God's punishing them. But the truth is that evil is its own judgment. They were rebellious people by nature. They were what's important. They rebelled against anything that seemed to threaten their importance. And so they rebelled against Rome. Now, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Messiah was compassionate and forgiving. Rome was not so compassionate or forgiving. When the Jewish nation rose up in rebellion against Rome, Rome sent an enormous honor, army under the leadership of a general, Titus. And Titus set, besieged Jerusalem. He, built, he set his army around Jerusalem and essentially starved them into submission. When they were starved into submission, he simply sent the army in and killed absolutely everyone. Destroyed everyone. And then in an attempt to wipe the Jewish nation off the face of the earth, he decided to completely destroy the city of Jerusalem. Now how do you do something like that? It's made out of stone, right? So they went for miles around and gathered timber. They brought in all the logs and wood and trees and timber and filled the city with wood, with timber, set it on fire until it got so hot that the limestone melted. And in the end, the temple and the city of Jerusalem was just one 
stone slab. All was destroyed. The only piece of the city that survived was a retaining wall that when they built this magnificent temple, they wanted more land to build the temple on. So they, they you know, it's, it's built, Jerusalem is a hillside, right? So they, you, you, you've done this. You build a retaining wall, you fill it with dirt, and you create this new little platform that you build your, your, your edifice on. That retaining wall is now called the Wailing Wall. It's all that's left. And the Jews to this day believe that God still inhabits those stones and that's why they go there to pray and to write their prayers in little pieces of paper and stick them inside this wall. We live in a culture that in many ways rebels against God. Do you hear people say things like there's no such thing as an absolute? There are no absolutes in life. Why bother with God? What's God done for you lately? We create concepts about God that, that are false enough that we can stop believing in God. We can stop believing in church, believe that church has messed up so much, because we have, okay, we're human, and church has messed up a lot, but God is still present. God is still present in his church. And so this belief that there are no absolutes, that we can make our own decisions, we can be the, the God of our own lives, this permeates our society. And I realize that there's a lot of people, that, there are a lot of things that people try to make into absolute truths that aren't really absolute truths. But there are at least three absolute truths that I know to be absolutely true. One is, is that our God, who is the center of all things, is love. And the second absolute truth is this. God created us to love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the third absolute truth is this. That God created us to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we live our lives by these absolute truths, if, this, if these absolute truths form the belief system that gives birth to our, our attitudes and our choices and our habits, if these three absolute truths are the foundation that we live our lives by, all will go well for us. And if we live our lives in rebellion against the truth of God, things will not go well for us. As the residents of Jerusalem discovered when rebellion took hold of them and they put the Messiah to death and then ultimately rebelled against Rome, resulting in the complete destruction of the city. Now, in that first reading, the reading from Malachi, Malachi talks about a destruction not just of Jerusalem, but of the entire earth. It's actually pretty fascinating to think that at 500 B.C., there would be someone who would have the concept that the earth could be destroyed. And that's, that's quite an inspiration, isn't it? 
because there's nothing in life that even that gives the slightest indication that the earth could be destroyed. But of course, now we know that's absolutely true. We don't know when. Now, I think most scientists will say that the sun is scheduled to supernova in five billion years. So sometime between tomorrow and five billion years from now, it's all gone. But when this happens, Malachi says the sun of righteousness will shine with healing in his rays. An earlier translation said, shine with healing in his wings. We sing that song at Christmas, don't we? But the sun of righteousness will come with, shine with healing. Now, when this occurs, when God shows up, when we are faced with that which will utterly destroy all that we put our hopes into, the question is, Will that be destruction and judgment for us, or will that be healing? I love the end of this gospel because it's so confusing. Jesus says, some of you will be put to death, but not one hair on your head will be destroyed. All right, try to figure that one out. <laughs> but the truth is that all that we have in this life will come to an end. If we don't wait five billion years for the sun to supernova, certainly in 30 or 40 years from my lifespan, some of the younger people have got 60 or 70 years yet to go. But there's always comes a point when there is the end of all things for each of us. And when we come to that day when God shows up, is it destruction and judgment or is it healing and peace? The choice is ours because our beliefs will shape our attitudes and our attitudes will shape our choices and our choices will shape our habits and our habits will shape the outcome of our lives.